so as I was saying um, before we turn the video on, I would like to congratulate you for be beginning to remember that remembering is the most important one. If we have a skill and we don't remember to use it, then the skill is no valuable to us at that moment. And this is why sati, or to remember to apply this stuff, is so important. But on the other uh, side with that, sati is not enough. That we have to take the right effort. Now, the thing about the right effort is, is that right effort is to be applied in this present moment to get the results of the application of that effort right here, right now. And yet Buddhism in the West is seen as a set of attainments or things to get. We have uh, jhanas and we have soda pine and all kinds of things that people want and are trying to get something out of meditation. So they see it as just another form of greed. Yeah. Meditation for most people is just another form of greed. And then when they don't get what they were looking for, they double down and work harder which is not the right kind of effort. One's right effort is to be done right in the present moment. And that the results of right effort are immediately available right here, right now. And as we continue to practice that skill set of looking at what the mind is doing and then substitute it and put something wholesome in there, uh, that's actually a set of skills, a set of three skills that the Buddha talks about. And he mentions them in this order, in the sense of right view, right sati, and right effort. And that um, over time, the skill of right view uh, uh, improves as we take on a... Uh, let us say, a better and better version of right view. And that one's effort in the beginning is to begin to change the view from your ordinary wrong view into one's right view. And then we add a fourth ingredient after we get going. You're still at the stage of getting the three things going. Okay. <clears throat> And so the skill of right view is to purify that view so that you can see things more clearly, see it more correctly, see it with less hindrances and less pollution. One sati is developed in the sense of how often does it come up? And we have to actually practice um, in a way so that uh, we're practicing sati a lot during the day that uh, most meditation uh, experiences with people, you can understand that if people say, oh, I want to find out about Zen or I want to find out about meditation or Buddhism, and they go to a place and they see everyone squatting on the floor, all in a particular row and all of that kind of stuff, then we get the visual imagery of that's the kind of stuff that we do in meditation. And if that's the case, then I guess we'll have to give them the word meditation. They can have it. We don't need that word. We've got better words to use anyway. You could even go so far as to say the same thing is true about the word Buddhism. There's an awful lot of people who consider themselves Buddhist that don't follow the teachings of the Buddha. And because of that, there's so many of them that we'll just kind of have to let them have that word. They took it. No reason to go chase them down the hill and, and uh, wrestle them to the ground and take the word back away from them. There's too many of them. <laughs> and so we can just kind of let them have the word. So we can give these words away because people already have an understanding of what they mean. And one of them is the word meditation in the sense that a lot of people say, oh, 
<clears throat> the longer you can sit, the better. Start off with 20 minutes, go immediately to 45 minutes, and then start working from 45 to an hour and from an hour to two hours, okay? This is the kind of way that they look at it. But if somebody can meditate for an hour a day or let us say sit on the floor and do whatever they're doing that they call meditation, at best what that means is an hour a day they're in, in the process of gladdening the mind, taking the hindrances out, putting wholesome thoughts in. So even if they're practicing correctly for an hour a day, that still leaves 23 hours a day for the hindrances to come back because we're not paying attention. Oh, I've already meditated today is the kind of idea. Uh, maybe I should meditate twice a day, but the point is, is that um, if we break our practice up into shorter periods of time, we'll get more benefit out of it in the same amount of time. So practicing six times a day for 10 minutes will really start to bring up the sati a whole lot quicker than one hour a day. And the reason for that is, is because the human mind gets tired. Our attention span generally lasts about 20 minutes. So if we're practicing uh, only for 10 minutes, that means that we can start sharp, practice getting sharper, and then uh, go about our daily activities after 10 minutes really sharp. See what I mean? Yeah. And not only that, but at six times a day, throughout the day, we're bringing up sati. We're actually practicing and wanting to practice sati. What is sati? To remember, to remember, to remember. Because we want these three things to work together. And if we don't remember, then we're missing one of the major ingredients. So, uh, sati is to wake up and to remember. This is something that you're beginning to uh, gain the skill of, and I want to congratulate you for that. That you, After all of this time, you're beginning to remember that you can actually apply this stuff. Okay, So now we have one's right view, which is improving over time, because the more we look and the more we investigate, the more we view things correctly, then the better we can see them. And then we apply the right effort, and the right we can think of right effort as so easy once we start doing it. It's like getting the hang of it. Yeah. It's almost like kind of riding a bicycle. That it takes about five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes to learn to get uh, to get coordinated so that you can pedal and steer at the same time. And after that, nobody ever forgets how to ride a bicycle. Right effort is like that. Once you figure out what is right effort, then you recognize that it's actually quite easy. And that as the skill itself develops, it becomes almost energetic. In the sense that as soon as the, uh, the sati comes up, so does the right effort and so does the, uh, the right view. They just pop right into place. Okay. Now... One's right effort, then, is in the beginning, just with one's right view, is to purify the view. So the right view, right effort, and right uh, sati run and circle around each other. Uh, especially in the sense of one's right effort is merely to, after the wake up, do an investigation, figure out is this thought wholesome or not, and if it's not, then replace it and put a wholesome thought in the mind. That's the only thing. And we keep practicing that over and over and over again. Now, it's also quite beneficial to bring in the breath, to take a really, really deep breath, uh, that we're operating this together. And the way of looking at it is, is that um, if you can't control the breath, then how can you control your mind? Now, a lot of people are, are practicing a kind of meditation that seems to be uh, popular in the West that has to do with uh, things like bare uh, awareness, 
or noting this kind of stuff. Basically, what that is, is that's just remembering to practice right view. But it's not really practicing right view because we're not taking the effort to purify that view. In other words, we're not making the distinction between what is wholesome and what is not wholesome. So, um, in that re regard, uh, bare awareness meditation practices don't give the punch or the value that Anapanasati does. That once you start practicing Anapanasati correctly, you can see benefits occurring very quickly. Uh, but bare awareness meditation doesn't give any results because the students are not actively engaged in the right effort to purify the mind. And yet that purification of the mind is something that is kind of heart tone within Buddhism. You know, in the Dhammapada, it says to do good, to avoid evil, and to purify the mind. This is actually the purifying of the mind, is to do good and to avoid evil in the mind. That's the purification process. Also, that's the, the removal of the hindrances, which is the hindrances from us being hindered into being present, joyful, and in the mood that you want to be in. So we work with this part of the Eightfold Noble Path in the beginning of right view, right effort, and right sati. As we uh, do this, we, we begin to understand the right effort actually is an effort. It does take effort. And that you could say that um, that the right effort and the right sati really work hand in hand because it's quite possible for somebody to wake up and have some sati, but they don't have enough of it to actually be of any value to you. An example of that is when you first wake up in the morning, nobody wakes up and jumps right out of bed. Not if you can help it. No. Uh, but there are times and places where when you do wake up, you do jump right out of bed. If somebody uh, comes screaming into your room, says, the house is on fire, and that yeah. wakes you up, you're going to be out of the bed in a minute. Not a minute, a second. Right? But normally when we wake up, we wake up and then we stay laying in the bed. The same thing is true with uh, uh, the mind in the sense that when we wake up with sati, even though we're waking up, we're still not woken up enough to take the effort to get out of the hindrances. Right? We don't see them as dangerous. But this is then the skill that's developed is the skill of right view. That as we refine the view, we can begin to see, wait a minute, that stuff really is dangerous. In the sense that the house really is on fire, it's time to get up and do something, right? Let's get out of here. So this is how right sati and right effort and right view work together. The Buddha even says uh, in the sutta that they run and circle around one another. And as we practice that, we begin to add a new feature. And that new feature is the confidence yes. that we can do that. Yes, and that, that's, that, what that's the brought. new element that's, that's happening since this has clicked. It's like, oh, this is possible. I can see where this is going a little bit, you know. And it's beautiful. Like, I was, I was really recently just, like, taken, I think after our last talk, I was just taken by the, like, beauty of, of the whole idea of just being content with what you have and not always being needing a whole lot more you know there's something very as you'd like to say noble about that um, mm -hmm. but yes the confidence that's 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 coming in since since i've been figuring out that it's contentment and satisfaction with where i'm at not fighting it and chastising myself and all of that that's mm -hmm. that's been the missing piece, even though, again, you've been <laughs> saying it all year. Exactly. So what we're doing in that regard is we're talking about coming out of the critical mind. 
the critical mind is actually the one who's doing the comparisons about this is good and this is bad. I like this, I don't like that. I want this, I don't have it, I got to get it, okay? That's the mentality that we are uh, growing up with, and we do that ignorantly. Now you're beginning to see it, and when we see it, the second noble truth doesn't have the power that it did before. A lot of people think that this cause of suffering is clinging or tanha, but really, that's not the issue. An example of that is, is that uh, someone hands you uh, a stone uh, that is <laughs> you just went upside down. I went upside down. I'm sorry. Just trying to fix. I noticed my eyes are away from the camera. I was trying to fix that. Sorry. Okay. So. Imagine somebody picked up a, 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 a rock that had been um, a side stone for a campfire. And that rock is so hot uh, that uh, it would burn the flesh. But when somebody hands you the rock, you don't know that it's hot. As soon as you figure out that the rock is hot, you'll drop it. You'll put it down. Right? The problem is, is that we have been told to pick up hot rocks. And when the child wants to put it down, the adult will say, no, you hold that rock. You keep that rock. You've got to have that rock. If you don't have that rock, something bad will happen. Okay. And so we're trained that way of going around carrying sometimes hot thoughts. But now that we're investigating, we can recognize more and more what thoughts are hot and what thoughts are not, what thoughts are cool. This is why we need to do that investigation. Now, here's something interesting about that investigation and these hot rocks and whatnot. Because many students will ask, well, how do I know what kind of thoughts are wholesome and what kind of thoughts are not wholesome? That's a very, very good question. <clears throat> and the answer is, is that as you practice more and more, your view will refine more and more, and more and more that you thought were okay thoughts or wholesome thoughts now begin to look suspicious because you can begin to see the danger in them. So what happens is, is that uh, the more you investigate, the more junk you're willing to throw out. It's almost like that you're cleaning out the room. Uh, uh, they have the concept of spring cleaning, that uh, uh, during the winter time that people don't open their doors and uh, do just a little bit of cleaning, but uh, that in the springtime they'll do a complete thorough cleaning out, right? But one of the ways of cleaning things out is we have to look. And the more we look, the more dirt we can find, right? But this is a good thing because the more dirt we find, the more dirt we clean out, and then the cleaner our environment is. And so this is the way we begin to do this, is, is that as we get good with right view, our discernment improves so that we begin to say uh, what used to be wholesome will now be unwholesome. A really clear example of that is what is often called junk thoughts, just random thoughts, just thoughts that just come up in the mind. The beginner will say, well, I don't see anything unwholesome with those kind of thoughts at all. But later on, we recognize that, hey, wait a minute, that takes effort. Those unwholesome thoughts require work. They require effort that we don't have to put up. That in fact, one's right effort, real right effort, is a reduction of effort, not new effort. Um, in, in this way, we can go to a statement that's talked about the law of karma or the law of action. That everyone that comes to Buddhism and uh, is very common thought in, especially India, 
is that the law of karma is, is that if you do good action, you'll get good results. And if you do bad action, you'll get bad results. Right? Well, we can see that that works kind of in the meditation in the sense that if you have wholesome thoughts, you'll be better off than if you have un unwholesome thoughts. But we can see what a wholesome thought is, but sometimes we do not know about whether an action is going to be good or not. An example of that would be you buy stock in the stock market, and then the stock goes up. If the stock goes up, then that buying of the stock may have been thought of as a good action. If you sell the stock when, it's at, when it goes down, you buy the stock and then it goes down and then you sell it. And you can say, okay, that was a bad action because the stock went down. But that's only in the issue of the stock itself going up and going down is the determination of good and bad. But some people will watch that stock every day as it goes up and down and up and down and when it goes up they feel good and when it goes down they feel bad and so once they buy that stock they're on an emotional roller coaster right yeah. and they don't recognize that they only see the action of the buying of the stock not the action of how they're responding to the ups and downs of that stock because they think that the stock is me and when the stock does good, I'm good. And when the stock goes down, I go down because of the identification. But once we can make that connection or disconnection and recognize I'm not the stock. And not only that, but look at the fact that I bought that stock because of greed. And because of that greed, look how miserable I've made myself watching that stock. And so this is how it goes when we're in that mode of good action gives good results and bad action gives bad results. The fact is, is that that buying of the stock is more than likely mixed because it moves up and down. The Buddha is really big on uh, the first thing that we have to understand is, is that there is a kind of action that has both good and bad elements to it and gives both good and bad elements as a result. Things are mixed. When someone makes a touchdown in football, half the stand likes it and half the stand doesn't. Right? So that means that that action was a mixed action. It gave mixed results. Sometimes people like it and some people don't. This mixed results then is actually a kind of suffering. But then there's the fourth kind of comma. And the fourth kind of comma is the kind of action that is neither good nor bad. It's neither bright nor dark. If it's not dark, it's not dukkha. If it's not bright, then there's no clinging to it. And so for the beginner, or how do we get this understood? We understand it in the sense that if I already have the mind purified, then when the mind is purified, the actions will be pure in the sense that I'm not hurting anyone. But also, the actions are pure in the sense that I don't want anything. Because normally when we think about actions that are good actions that give good results, especially in Asia, we think about it in the sense of merit making, building a temple, feeding the monks, doing that kind of stuff. In other words, doing something now for a future result. Perhaps that future is long into the future for some people. Next life or whatever, right? And so this is the kind of actions that we take that we think are good to give us good results, but in fact we don't know what the results are going to be. But this fourth kind of action, the kind of action that has that uh, uh, it's not done because of good and it's not done because it's bad it's actually just an ordinary kind of action that a person would take but the Buddha says that this kind of action that is neither bright nor dark leads to the end of action the action that leads to the end of action okay um 
let's let's find a, a, a typical easy example of that. And that is is that <clears throat> it's just all over the place. If the light is on in the house, that light means is that there's a lot of action going on. There's tons of trazillions of electrons flowing through wires. There's heat being given off from that light. You've got a whole power company behind it that's in operation. You've got all of this transmission equipment and all of those computers with all of that transmission equipment for balancing the load and all that kind of stuff. You can actually think about it in that way. You can see how much action there is to turn that light or to have that light on. And for us, all we have to do to put the end of all of that action is just flip the switch and turn the light off. You see what I'm talking about? Okay, so one's right action is a very small action that will then prevent a lot of other action. Are we talking about physical actions or actions in the mind right now? Both. I use physical actions as an example, but many physical actions uh, operate on this. This is just a, uh, an actual... If you think about it, the real physical laws that we're working with here is the is the law of cause and effect. Okay, uh, let me give you this example. You know that that uh, uh, that there are big cranes. Let us say at at the junkyard or at other places that have great big shovels that come in and scoop and then pick something up. Okay. Or there is a great big hook, and that that hook then is put on something, and now we can pick it up because we've got that hook, okay? But if we want, uh, and if we go up with that heavy, heavy load, that's going to be a lot of work. But if that load is just sitting there, all we have to do is bring the hook down to release it, and now we can go up. Do you see that this is a very, very small action to prevent a whole lot of work? Mm -hmm. So that as this goes up, it doesn't have to pull this thing up to it because it's no longer hooked to it. We unhooked it. Right. So the this, unhooking is an effort. Right. I mean, this is, this is the, I, the whole time you've been talking about this, and, and before even, you know, I had that one thing, you know, we're talking about building a, the Buddha talks about, building a mind or mindset that tends towards relinquishment, renunciation, um, mm -hmm. you know, not getting involved, you know, not reacting. And I'm, you know, I'm seeing that in meditation that really what I need to do is just be still and not, I, you're talking about unhooking. You're not talking about yes. being still. Um, you're talking well, about that's the whole point is, is that if you unhook, that will help the stillness. Yeah. Because we, when we're hooked to stuff, this, this being, this dragging us around, we're not still. Yeah. Okay. So this is the unhooking, and the stillness are directly related. You could also go to say that the stillness then is not action. Right. Stillness is not yeah. action. Yeah. It's not yeah. action. Yeah. It yeah. is yeah. not action is the point yeah. that I'm taking. Okay. Um, so that stillness is an action. Uh, let us say that we can take a very small action to bring that very big action to a halt. Other physical example. The highway, the freeway, is absolutely covered with traffic. There's a lot of traffic. And that there's an accident up above and the police want to clear the area. So what they'll do is they'll put two cars to block the traffic up the road. And all they have to do is put those two cars out on the pavement. And now look at how much traffic they can stop that way. Okay, so we're talking about a very, very little action that prevents an awful lot of action. I'm intrigued. <laughs> huh? I'm intrigued. I'm in 
Okay. Well, this is one's right action. The right action then is, is a, a small action that gains great results because it prevents a lot of unwholesome action. So if the mind is filled with hindrances and we have one unwholesome thought after another unwholesome thought after another unwholesome thought, this is actually work. This is an effort. Someone is not relaxed. They're worried. Okay, they're restless. And restlessness and worry, for sure, are not uh, relaxation. And this is the state that normal people are in, is when they, even when they're relaxed, they're not really relaxed because they're worried about something. They're involved with something. They're thinking about something. Okay, so this quality that the Buddha recommends is, is that let's have only wholesome thoughts in the mind because wholesome thoughts themselves are not worrisome. That we're actually gaining a great deal of peace by having only wholesome thoughts. Get that? Things are a lot easier because things are only wholesome. Here's here's one thing that happens to me sometimes where I, you know, I, I have this notion um, that um, if I have my mind totally in the present, then I'm okay. I'm okay. I feel good if I'm totally in the present. Sometimes I extricate myself from whatever thoughts and I come to the present and I'm a little bit underwhelmed. Sometimes I'm a little bit, you're like, oh, I was having some pretty interesting thoughts. Now I feel it's a little bit duller or sometimes I'm unsure or, you know, what happens like, obviously, you know, that's going from one hindrance to another. I get that (laughs) going from restlessness to aversion. Um, But uh Yes. Here's Sometimes they don't get the full picture of how being in the present is a pleasant abiding. Okay. You were kind of pointing at the fact that a lot of people don't understand what hindrances are because they can see the gratification. That you were talking about it in the sense of, oh, it was actually kind of fun to think about that. Let us say it was fun to think about that I was able to build a flying contraction and now I'm flying through the air in my mind in my flying contraction. Okay. All right. Something innocuous or, or, or whatever like that. And so we begin to enjoy those kinds of literally flights of fantasy. And we like that kind of stuff. Um, it's a diversion from the mundane realities of life. Some people would say. Okay, so what we're talking about is is that they see the gratification in those kind of thoughts. And if we can only see the gratification in that, then uh, that becomes kind of like a prison. Because we can see the gratification only. Let me give you a physical example of what I'm getting at here, and that is, is that the fat man loves donuts anytime he sees donuts that somebody's got donuts out he'll sure to have half the box okay and then he goes to the doctor and the doctor comes out with a very very grim face and tells our friend possibly his name is homer because homer likes donuts and he impresses homer that he is sick, that these donuts and the diet that he's on is killing him, and that the doctor actually gets through to Homer, that these donuts that you're eating are dangerous for you. Because now, Homer, every time that he sees a donut, he says, those things are dangerous for me. I'm not going to buy this box of donuts now. And pretty soon, he's got no donuts at the house, And he's not thinking about donuts. And every time he does think about a donut, he sees it as dangerous. 
okay? Because he can see the danger in that donut, he can find an escape from it. This is actually a major teaching of the Buddha, these three things, that we don't, we only see the gratification. We don't see the danger. And when we don't see the danger, then we just indulge, we gratify. But once we see the danger in something, now we can begin to plot our escape. We can, we can begin to say, I could forego the gratification that I'm getting from that because I also recognize the danger in it. So as one's right view improves and increases, basically what that means is, is that we begin better and better through discernment to see the danger in things. And with that, we can get our escape. Now here's something very, very interesting, and that is, is that we're actually talking now about the first noble truth. There is dukkha in that donut. It's dangerous. But we don't see the danger in it. And because we cannot see the dangers, we cannot see the escape. So one's right view is actually improving to the point that we can see the value in things. We can see whether they're dangerous or not. And we haven't, we haven't talked a whole ton about dukkha. We've been talking about it all the time. That's the whole point. The dukkha is, in fact, the danger. What? The danger that things can become dissatisfying. In other words, we're not seeing the dissatisfaction. We can only see the gratification. And because we can only see the gratification, we can only get indulged in it. Then when we're suffering, we don't know why. Okay. So, this is something that we can begin to work with more and more, is, is that now you're waking up and recognizing that all you have to have is wholesome thoughts. We now understand that we also have to, uh, to improve our ability to view those thoughts with the understanding of are they actually wholesome or are they dangerous? And that uh, the uh, further into the practice that we go, the more thoughts that we used to think are wholesome, we now begin to see that they're no longer wholesome, that they're in fact dangerous. And when we get to the point where our mind has only wholesome thoughts and no unwholesome thoughts in it, then that means we're completely free of the dangers. When we're completely out of danger and completely um, uh, in, in a state of um, uh, well-being, let's say, that's relaxing. But in fact, this is ways that you can say that what the hindrances are is the hindrances are the hindrances to be relaxed. And when you have one wholesome thought after another wholesome thought after another wholesome thought, then there's no danger. Now we can be really relaxed. And like one thing that's standing out from today's talk is, is that I'm going to discern better the more sati that I have awake, the more that I'm engaged with the question of what's wholesome and unwholesome, the more aware that I am, the more that I'm paying attention with right view, putting in white effort, I'm going to mm. discern better and better. So there's, there's just a level of practice it's going to take. Exactly. And so basically, uh, part of the sati practice then becomes to wake up and ask ourselves the question, is this thought a wholesome thought or not? Is this wholesome or not? And wow, that's a really good question to ask ourselves before we start yelling at somebody. It's about, is this anger that I have for this guy wholesome or not? And when we recognize it's not wholesome, then we can drop it before uh, it gets bad. 
right? And so we can see the danger in advance of going down that path. This is a this is an important quality then of, of why it's so important to have the right effort to put in the effort that we need to put in to actually change the thoughts from one wholesome thought to the next wholesome thought to the next wholesome thought because that's actually quite relaxing. Not a cure in the world, not a thought of a problem. Everything is okay. Is a very relaxing, easygoing place as opposed to one thought after another after another. I've got to go put that fire out. I've got to go help that guy. I've got to go do this. This needs to be finished. I've got work to do here, folks. That's the kind of mentality then that keeps us uh, restless and not at peace. But having one wholesome thought after another after another is very wholesome and very peaceful. The, the Buddha, actually in the sutta number 19, which uh, the name of the sutta, when translated into English, translates as two kinds of thought. That's the name of the sutta. Two kinds of thoughts. And this is where he starts talking about wholesome and unwholesome thoughts. Now, in the sutta itself, when he's talking about unwholesome thoughts, he's talking about it in very arcane Buddhist kind of language. Uh, in the sense of um, abhihimsa, or harm, thoughts that are harmless. Um, also, thoughts that are not of greed, not of ill will, not of wanting things that we don't yeah. have. Okay, so... Pardon? Sounds like right intention. Yes. Okay. Well, um, the word intention is kind of a strange word. Intending to do something or intending to get something is, is in a way, the word is often used as wanting things. I intend to go to town. Why do I intend to go to town? Because I want something. And so an intention really uh, can be wholesome. But it's wholesome if your intention is followed by immediate action with immediate result. For instance, I, I have the intention to drink a drink of water. And then I take the water, I open it up. Okay, so that kind of intention was an okay intention because it had immediate results. But the intentions that we have that are way off into the future, for instance, you say, oh, I intend to go to town tomorrow. Well, then why even bother to have the thought, I intend to go to town tomorrow, when in fact we're not going to town? That's going to be tomorrow. Let's not think about tomorrow. Let's think about, I'm okay right now. And, I, and so those kind, when that thought, uh, I intend to go to town tomorrow, comes up, we could say, okay, but I don't need to think about going to town tomorrow. I can have something wholesome for right now rather than worrying myself because if we don't have that mindfulness or let us say we don't have that right investigation, then what will happen is I've got to go to town, I've got to go to town, I've got to go to town, I've got to go by this, I've got to go by that, I've got to make a long list, I've got to go do this, that, and the other thing. And guess what? When you actually go to town, it will not be exactly the way that we were thinking about it the day before. It's not going to be, happen that way. And if it doesn't happen the way that we were thinking about it, then we'll feel bad because I intended to do this and that happened instead. So it's really good then for uh, when someone is really wholesome is, is that when they see their intentions to do things tomorrow, that we don't have to worry about it so much today. This is exactly what Jesus said when he, had, when he says, have no thoughts of tomorrow. Now, many, many people, especially those that are anti-Christianity or whatever like that, can find all kinds of holes <clears throat> in their understanding of have no thoughts of tomorrow. But basically what Jesus is saying is, is that 
don't do a lot of plotting and planning and intending and wanting and whatever like that, to just be in the present moment today, knowing that you can handle yourself, that you've got the confidence to handle things tomorrow, that basically this intention that we have today of and worrying and thinking about tomorrow is because we don't have the confidence. But as you're building the confidence up, as you know that you can begin to handle things with, uh, with confidence, then I don't have to think about doing things tomorrow because I know that when I get tomorrow, I'll be able to handle it then. I don't have to plan in advance. Right. I used to plan on in advance what I was going to tell a student. And I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I don't, there's no reason to plan because who knows what, how things are going to go. So it's Confidence has a, has a role in, in presentness. That's not the word. Mm. <laughs> That's the word. Sure. <laughs> Living in the present. <laughs> exactly. So, as we investigate more and more, we begin to see that all things that I thought used to be wholesome now tend to not be so much. And this is how we begin to purify the mind, is, is that as we get sharper and sharper about knowing what's worthy of thinking about and what's not worthy of thinking about, we wind up not having much to think about at all. This is now, in that direction, is going in the direction of the action that is the end of action. Because if we have that one thought, oh, I don't have to think about tomorrow, let me enjoy this present moment right now, that one thought has saved us maybe 10 or 20 minutes of worrying about going to town tomorrow. Or maybe we're going to worry about it all day today. <laughs> and look how much work we saved ourselves by that waking up and changing the mind and saying, I don't have to do that. I don't have to think about going to town tomorrow. I can just sit here and enjoy the moment instead. No planning needed. that often our plans are just spinning our wheels, going no place. Yeah, trying to make trying to make now feel better with phantoms. Mm-hmm. And the present by itself is marvelous, all by itself. It doesn't need any past or any future. It's just really nice right now. <laughs> and you live in that. You've been living in that for a long time. Yeah. The now is really nice. Might as well use it. <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> so this is how we practice. Now, let me give you a little story. This is, uh, I mentioned Sutta number 19. Yeah. In, this, in this Sutta number 19, two kinds of thoughts, the Buddha has an analogy that I think is quite marvelous. It's an analogy from that time and the analogy is of a cow herd. The guy has got a few cows. This is not drovers in, uh, in the West where you've got thousands of cows you've got to take to the railhead on the Chisholm Trail, but really the kind of cow herd you would expect in ancient India. He's got four or five, maybe a, maybe a dozens is too many. So something between three or four and eight or nine cows that he's um, uh, that's his livelihood. He, li he makes his living off of these few cows. And so he has to deal with them every day. He has to make sure that they're fed. And he takes them someplace outside of his home. So on the way to, to the place where uh, the field where they're going to feed, he's got to go down this pathway. And along the pathway is a village that's got um, merchants, and uh, food stalls and uh, children are playing and whatnot like that. And this cow herd is taking this uh, group of cows through this area. He carries a stick. Why does the cow herd carry a stick? Is because he's going to whack that cow to keep that cow from stepping on a child. Or he's going to whack that cow to keep it from taking a carrot off of the food stall. Okay. And so his job is, is to make sure that those cows are not going to do any damage while they're going through this populated area. 
And so he actually whacks the cow. He takes the effort to make sure that that cow is going to be lined up, that the cow is not going to do any damage or harm. And if he did nothing, then the cows would just disperse throughout the village, tearing down all kinds of things, walking into people's houses, taking a, a cow pie dump uh, on the floor and whatnot. And so he's got a lot of job to do, but it's currently easy because he only has to whack one at a time to keep them in line. Once he gets them past the village, once he can keep them in line so that they're past the village, now he can take them out to the field where they have rice stubble and uh, uh, um, stalks and, and grain and whatnot like that. And so now they're in a safe area. The cows are not in danger. They've got their heads down while they're grazing. Now the cow herd has very little work to do. If while he's walking through there, that uh, village area with those cows, if he doesn't do any work at all, then he's going to have a whole lot of work to do, a whole lot of trouble. They, in fact, could take his cows away from him to pay for the damage the cows do. So he could lose his whole livelihood if he doesn't keep those cows in line, and he knows it is very dangerous to allow those cows to go out. And so he whacks them and gets them in line so that every cow, step by step, is in line. Once he gets them out to the pasture, though, now he can relax. So we can think of this analogy as the cows, we whack the cows to keep them in line, which means we're now in the village of thought. And so we are whacking these thoughts. The, uh, the way that the Buddha used it was that frame of, aha, I see you, Myra. I caught you. I got you. That's the same thing as uh, uh, the cow herd whacking that cow. Say, so you, yeah. you stay out of that place. You, that's not where you go. You go straight. You don't, you don't turn to the side to grab some uh, delightful thing that you saw along the way. But once he gets the cows out once he gets them in line uh, so that they can progress and they're all wholesome now he can relax this is exactly what we're talking about in the sense of the right effort uh, or the, um, uh, the the action that brings to the end of action yeah. if he only hit that cow with that with that stick that was a little action. That was the right effort that it took to keep that cow out of danger. But once the, all the thoughts are in line and we have one wholesome thought after another after another, now that's the second level of relaxation. Uh, yeah, I have a mental touchstone of that today um, where, uh, yeah, I knocked some thoughts out and then I was just really just good and chill for... Oh, wow. Good and still. Okay. Well, there's more to it than that. And that is, is that once we get the cows all in line and out to pasture and their heads are down and they're grazing and we know that the cows are behaving well now because they're doing what they're supposed to do, we don't even have to watch them. The cow herd does not have to stand there with the cows while they're grazing with his stick. He, in fact, can go sit down under a tree and rest. Now, in the beginning, he's going to keep an eye out on those cows, every one of them. Make sure that those, that cow is wholesome. But after we know that every cow is wholesome and their heads are down, you see, if the cow has head comes up and the cow starts looking around, then the cow herd should notice that. Because that means maybe the cow is going to leave this uh, pasture and go off and do some damage someplace. Okay? So we have to keep kind of an eye on them, but it's very easy going. But the cow herd is now actually sitting under the tree in the shade with nothing much to do because he's got his cows all in a wholesome state. So what we're actually talking about now is this progress of insight or this progression of the Dhamma is going from an agitated, restless state into a one wholesome thought after another state, much, much more relaxed. And now we don't even have to watch the cows anymore. So letting the cows all over town is the way that the normal mind is, very disruptive. 
taking the work to make the cows stay in line is a whole lot less effort than having to deal with all of the screaming uh, villagers about what my bad cows are doing. Once we get them to pasture, now I don't have to use the stick anymore. Now I can really relax. When all your thoughts are wholesome, now things are really easy. We don't even have to take any effort to make the thoughts wholesome. Now the effort is different. Now it's just a kind of looking over it. In this way, we can see that now we can actually allow gaps between the thoughts. So that we'll have a wholesome thought and then a gap and nothing happens. And now we're really relaxed and then another wholesome thought will come up. If people are practicing meditation and getting these gaps, but they haven't removed the hindrances, then that means that when they have a wholesome thought followed by a gap, the next thought that's likely to come up is a hindrance, not another wholesome thought. I'm still, I'm still, I, you know, it's coming along, but I'm still trying to renounce the notion that meditation is feeling any one particular feeling or doing something. I'm, I'm still laboring under, under that sitting. So I sit, I sit down with desire and aversion when I'm not in this blissful state still, I know that that's spurious, but. Okay. Well, when you are, that's very interesting that you would say it like that in the sense that you sit down to meditate with your mind full of desire. Yeah. Right. Why did you wait to sit down to meditation before you wake up to the fact that the mind is full of desire? Why didn't you do that 10 minutes before meditation? <laughs> when you come to sit down to meditation, you could already be in a state where you were really relaxed and comfortable so that you can enjoy your meditation. Why do you have to work at it? Okay, the answer is, uh, the point is, is that sati now is going to be a skill to be developed. Right. The more often you remember to check the mind to see is it wholesome or not, the more likely it's going to be wholesome in that moment. Okay. And so you can see this as a skill development. Congratulations, though, you've gotten a foot in the door, so <laughs> to speak. <laughs> I'm genuinely happy about it. <laughs> Very good. So this is the way that we're going to continue to practice is, is to um, the discernment of um, figuring out in a new way, look at every thought that we have. Many of the thoughts that we thought were wholesome, we now can see are in fact dangerous. And those are the kind of thoughts too that we should not uh, have. And so as we um, progress in our skill set, of right view. The right view means that we're able to uh, discern what is wholesome and not wholesome and remain in, in the wholesome, knowing that it's a sliding scale. That the year's, this year's wholesome thoughts are not the same as, as next year's wholesome thoughts, nor the, the thoughts that you had long ago. Um, <clears throat> in fact, memories are a good example of what we're talking about. If you sit and you remember something that happened in the past, let us say you remember living in a particular house at a particular age. If you think about what happened while you were living in that house, within just a few mind moments, just a few thoughts, you'll remember something bad that happened in that house. Maybe. Okay that we do not, when we're reminiscing, reminisce in wholesome. We reminisce in unwholesome, or we just reminisce and stumble into the unwholesome. And not only that, but the reason for that was is because we were, when we lived in that house at that time, we were not mindful, and therefore we were most likely to have a lot of wholesome, unwholesome behaviors in that house that we lived in. So when we remember living in that house, the likelihood is that we're going to remember something that happened that we don't like. Well, that sure can provoke uh, a lot of hindrance. I mean, it sure can. So thinking about the past is dangerous. Now let's say that we do and we run across that uh, while I lived in that house, I hit my dad. I slugged him. 
And I remember that. And every time that I think about that house, I think of dad and I think of that episode and I think about hitting and then I feel bad. Right? Okay. So now it's time to have the kind of wholesome thoughts of, oh, that episode is deep in the past. It It happened to two people who no longer exist. That I am not the one who did that action in the past. That I'm who I am now and who I am now disapproves of that kind of behavior that I did not disapprove of then. In other words, now I can see the unwholesome qualities in the behavior that at one time I thought was wholesome and now I can see is not wholesome. Yeah, as the Christians would say, I've repented. That's exactly the right word for it. That's exactly the right word. And the word in this sense is to uh, the word repent means to turn around. To make a change. To renounce that kind of behavior, to relinquish it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that uh, uh, renunciation and relinquishment is the same thing as uh, to renounce it or to say, that's not who I am. My standards are this now, and that doesn't meet up to the standards. Therefore, even thinking about it is now unwholesome. And some people will say, well, we have to learn from our mistakes. The answer is, is that when you renounce it, you've learned the lesson that you needed to learn from it. Why do you keep giving yourself the same old wrong lesson and having to do uh, the renunciation and the uh, uh, repentance over and over again. The best thing to do is to get it done with, get over it, and then stop thinking about it. I mean, there's something decisive and um, confident about what you're talking about. You know, it's, it's very much, you know, now that's beneath me. You know, I'm done with it. I'm done with it. Now it's only wholesome. I'm not going to even give thought to those unwholesome bad behaviors of the past. You throw them out. You forget about it. And we be in this present moment. That's why the Buddha was so big upon staying out of the past. Because the past is dangerous. Once we begin to see thinking about the past is dangerous, we won't do it so much. Once we see thinking about the future is dangerous, we don't do it so much. Ah, so this this is the answer to the question earlier, you know, there's the analytical sati right effort. Okay, yeah, process here to being in the present. And confidence. You've given me some some answers by and by. <laughs> <laughs> That's really great, Devin. And today I gotta congratulate you. You've been smiling more today than I've seen you in the past. Something's happening for you. Congratulations. (laughs) Just have a bit of joy here, folks. (laughs) Because that joy is actually the recognition of success. You're becoming successful at your practice of meditation. Well, and I'm I'm very And I'm so pleased. I gotta tell you, I'm so pleased for you, Devin. I'm really happy for you. (laughs) I'm 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 very grateful, you know, I got you putting good good words in my brain i i think you know this year has this past year and a bit hasn't been all all success for me but it would have been a lot a lot less successful than it has been without uh the stuff you've been passing on to me so much it's it's appreciated it really is well the the further you go into it the better your skills will be and whatever the past year has had, there's been such an improvement over the year before, next year's going to be even better. Like but don't plan on anything. <laughs> 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 Just recognize through confidence that your skill set is, is developing. Right. Confidence. And that you'll be able to handle confidence. next year yeah. much better than you did this year. Excellent. Well, keep with it. Keep practicing. Like I said, try it about 10 minutes a day, six or seven or 10 times a day. Just start because you've got that kind of time. 
Just start remembering. Ten minutes is all it takes to sit down and get myself into a really, really good state. And then you can handle another hour or two. And then you can sit down and get yourself back into a really, really good state. Wholesome thoughts, one wholesome thought after another, after another. And that builds confidence. Yeah, we'll do. Okay. That that would be 10 minutes, six times a day is a much more productive hour than people trying to sit in meditation for an hour. Because here, we're in six times a day, your intention is right now to clean the mind and be in a good state. And you practice that over and over and over again, and then pretty soon between the 10-minute sessions, you'll begin to remember And so then you can start adding another minute or two here and there and here and there, another minute or two of good, wholesome thoughts. And pretty soon they begin to um, become a predominant part of your day. Right. Yeah, that'd be nice. (laughs) That we're not going to leave uh, all of the wholesome thoughts to only the meditation cushion, that we're going to have wholesome thoughts all day. And so this is what we're practicing for. And yeah, so going I like forward, it. I like it too. <laughs> okay, Devin, do you have anything else to talk about? Not, not for now. Thank you very much. And uh, you have yourself a great rest of the day. I'll, I'll catch you on the flip side. You enjoy this very moment. <laughs> That's my advice. Enjoy, enjoy this moment. <laughs> You've always got it. Here it is. <laughs> See ya. Thank you again. Okay, David. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.